0: Amen. Well, let's pray together, church. Lord, we are so um, humbled by being able to gather together. What a privilege we have in this great country to gather together to worship you. And Lord, just to um, come as the people of God and to be able to talk about you, to be able to share our experiences with you, to be able to sing our praises to you. And Lord, for some of us uh, going through a d- difficult time, just being able to come into your presence and, and to feel the power of your love and compassion um, all around us. Thank you for your church and Lord, uh, you are ever almighty. Uh, to praise and ever almighty to save. And so we love you today and pray that you will uh, bless everything that we say and do as we open your word today. May you speak to us and show us your will and your way and all that you have for us. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, you may be seated and welcome to church, church. It's good to see you this morning. We've been on a journey together through the book of Hosea. How many of you have ever, ever um, been through the book of Hosea before we started this? Let me see your hands out there. Right. Not many. Um, Hosea is a wonderful book. Hosea is the first of what we call the minor prophets Hosea, Hosea Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. They're called minor prophets not because of their message is minor. It's just simply minor prophets was a way of dividing them between the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Because the book of Isaiah literally takes up more space in the Bible than all 12 of the minor prophets. And so the minor prophets were just called the minor prophets. Uh, simply because they didn't take up a lot of space, not because their message is less. Because Hosea, only 14 chapters, and we're in chapter 10 today, uh, we have been on a a journey for several weeks now to get um, all that God has to say to us through this book of Hosea, and we've looked at the nation of Israel mostly, because that's what Hosea was a prophet to the ten northern tribes and as well to the two southern tribes now keep in mind and know that under under Saul then under David and then under Solomon we had what was known as the United Kingdom all 12 tribes of Israel serving together one country after Solomon dies His son takes over, and we see that the kingdom splits, and from that point on, you have a divided kingdom. You have the nation of Israel, the ten northern tribes, and you have the nation of Judah, the two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin. From that point, you're going to see that there are 21 kings that are there in the nation of Israel, the Uh, the 10 northern tribes, and you'll see that there are 19 kings in the southern kingdom. And many times they are warring and fighting against each other. In fact, there were rival places of worship. The kings of the north, northern kingdom, didn't want their people going down to Judah, where Jerusalem was, to, to worship. So they built rival worship places in, uh, places in the northern kingdom, two of them, one at Bethel and one at Dan. And there they had a golden calf. Where do we remember seeing a golden calf before? Uh, back during the, with Moses and the children of Israel at, at Mount Sinai. So all of these things we see that there's, there's an upheaval in the nation. The people of God are turning away from God. We're seeing things happen in the nation that should never happen. And from the time where we see the major part, uh, the major issue was under the reign of Solomon. Now Solomon, from Scripture itself, tells us that Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived. I would question his wisdom in his relationships. How about you? 700 wives and 300 concubines, I believe, is the way it was. So a 1,000 different wives. And the thing about that is they were wives from all of these other nations all around Israel, where they had treaties with, with these nations. And um, what happened was, is that Solomon, when he received all of these... Uh, Treaties and, and, and these wives, over a thousand counting all together, he began to allow the worship of their false gods to come into the nation. And not only did he allow the false worship, he began himself attending worship to these false gods. So it was a downward trend that started under the reign of Solomon. So what, what do we need to, to look at today? And What do we need to say today about this whole idea of this kingdom? I want us to look in Hosea chapter 10. Hosea chapter 10, and notice what God says through the prophet Hosea. He says, Israel empties his vine. He brings forth fruit for himself. According to the multitude of his fruit, he has increased the altars. According to the bounty of his land, they have embellished his sacred pillars. Their heart is divided. Now they are held guilty. He will break down their altars. He will ruin their sacred pillars. For now, they say, we have no king because we did not fear the Lord. And as for a king, what would he do for us now? They have spoken words, swearing falsely and making a covenant. Thus, judgment springs up like hemlock in the furrows of the field. The inhabitants of Samaria fear because of the calf of Beth-haven, or we know as Bethel. For its people mourn for it, and its priests shriek for it, because its glory has departed from it. The idol also shall be carried to Assyria as a present for King Jerob. Ephraim shall receive shame, and Israel shall be ashamed of his own counsel. As for Samaria, talking about the northern kingdom, her king is cut off like a twig on the water. Also the high places of Avon or Bethel, the sin of Israel, shall be destroyed. The thorn and thistle shall grow on their altars. They shall say to the mountains, cover us. And to the hills fall on us. O Israel, you have sinned from the days of Gibeah. There they stood, the battle in Gibeah against the children of iniquity, did not overtake them. When it is my desire, I will chasten them. People shall be gathered against them when I bind them for their two transgressions. Ephraim is a trained heifer that love to thresh grain. But I harnessed her fair neck, I will make Ephraim pull a plow, Judah shall plow, Jacob shall break his clods. Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy, break up the fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. You have plowed wickedness, you have reaped iniquity, you have eaten the fruit of lies. Because you trusted in your own way in the multitude of your mighty men, therefore tumults shall rise among your people and all your fortresses shall be plundered as Shalman plundered Beth Arbel in the day of battle. A mother dashed in pieces upon her children. Thus it shall be done to you, O Bethel, because of your great wickedness In the morning, the king of Israel shall be cut off utterly. Wow. What's going on there with the nation of Israel? The prophet Hosea is preaching one message, and it is that Israel has turned from their God. And because of that, God has been long-suffering and gracious and patient, but now judgment is coming. Hosea is saying to us and saying to the nation of Israel that God is going to allow a heathen kingdom called Assyria to come and take you captive. Now, that's not a very popular message, And it certainly is not one that Israel wanted to hear because they did not believe that they were doing anything wrong. They were still, they had God as a part of their lives, but what was happening was God was not the priority of their lives. Let's look as we walk through this together. We see the chief of Israel's transgressions in chapter 10, verses 1 and 3. The first chief transgression of Israel was that Israel worshiped and served idols. If you look in Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, uh, you will find that uh, God has a special plan. Listen to what he says about the nation of Israel in Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one has a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a winepress as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now Isaiah here is using the analogy of the nation of Israel as a beautiful vineyard that God planted. And God was looking for the fruit of the vine, but he says here that it only turned out bad fruit. Notice what else he says. Now, you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard that I have done for it? In other words, God is saying, there's nothing else I could have done. Israel, can you not understand I am God? God. And I have chosen you as my people. Why have you turned from me? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. Listen to what God says He's going to do in judgment. I will break down its wall, I will take away its hedge, and it will be destroyed. And it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command, listen, I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice but saw bloodshed for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. Then look in Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. Another great prophet of God that preached for 52 years. Jeremiah says to them, Long ago you broke, broke off your yoke and tore off Your bonds, you said, I will not serve you. Indeed, on every high hill and under every spreading tree, you lay down as a prostitute. I had planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt wild vine? God, through the prophet Isaiah, who preached at the same time Hosea did, through the prophet Jeremiah, who preached for 52 years, not one single convert recorded in Scripture under his ministries. In fact, he was put in a muddy, miry pit up to his neck. He was put in stocks and bonds. They threw all kinds of rotten vegetables at him. They cursed him. They did everything. And in Jeremiah chapter 20, Jeremiah says, God, I will not preach your word anymore. I cannot stand this any longer. But then in the very next verse, God, the Jeremiah says, God, I can't help myself. Your word is like a hammer. It's like a fire burning in my bones. And God was trying to plead with Israel to come back to him, that he had dressed them like a beautiful vineyard, provided for them in all of their ways, But their first chief transgression was they began and they worshiped and served idols. The second chief transgression of Israel was that Israel looked to the kings for salvation. In chapter 10, verses 3 and 7 and verse 15, there you see it talks about their kings and how that they relied upon them. In fact, let me just tell you about their kings here for a minute. The nation of Israel had 21 kings, started with Saul, then David, Rehoboam, Abijah, Jehoshaphat, Jehoram, Azariah, Jehoash, Amaziah, Azariah, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, Manasseh, Ammon, Josiah, Jehoiaz, Jehoiakim, Jehoiachim, and Zedekiah. 21 kings. You would think that in a nation that was set aside by God, chosen by God to be his people, the elect of God, as the Scripture says, as Zechariah says, the apple of God's eye. God had brought them out of Egypt. God had blessed them and encouraged them. God had provided for them in their wandering years food every day, water every day, manna every day, quail, all the stuff that God had provided for them, a cloud by day, And a fire by night to take care of them. Their clothes did not wear out for over for forty years. The shoes on their feet did not wear out. But yet when they get to the promised land and when they begin to be the nation God wants them to be, they turn from God and they turn to false gods. Now this didn't happen overnight. It crept in slowly. It's like drifting. Talk to people sometimes, and I've and this phrase comes up, they'll say something, I don't know how I ever got to where I am right now. You know, before the casinos took over Tunica, they used to be a great place to go fishing. You could go down and we'd put in there at, at the, the Tunica cutoff in the lake and then we would set lines out in the lake and when the water was up we would go through the cutoff and the cutoff was a was a path through the Tunica Lake into the Mississippi River and so we would drive through that cutoff go to the Mississippi River we were out there one day fishing or one night And I heard something like this. Uh, uh, You know what that is? That's a tugboat coming. And you better get out of the way. Because just the wake from one of those tugboats can be as much as six, seven, eight feet high. And when you're in a little 14-foot John boat with a 20-horse Mercury motor on it, you don't want to get caught in that wake. So we pulled in into a little eddy. The water looked calm. And we knew it would be about 30, 40 minutes before the tugboat uh, would make its way through and the, wakes would, you know, the wake would settle down. So we kind of just kicked back in the boat and we did not tie our boat off. We went to sleep. And we floated drifted down that river almost five miles. It was about three o'clock in the morning. I remember waking up um, and I was looking around thinking, where am I? How did I get here? What's going on? If you know anything about the Mississippi River too, they have these... uh, current breaks that are out there they're stones and it's usually around um, where they keep the channel clear so that you know it stops the current from destroying the channel and we had gone by three of those and somehow because at those current breaks you will have a level of water here then you have the break and then the water drops and our boat had somehow made it by those three And I woke up with such fear, had no idea, and looked like to me the Mississippi River was running backwards. You know, what in the world? Where are we? How are we going to get out of here? We had no idea where we were. We had drifted. And I look at people's lives, and we let down our we let down our guard. And we began to dabble in things, and we began to. We begin to, our heart begins to kind of grow cold toward the things of God and toward His church. And the fire that's in our bones that that when we first got saved and we were serving God and and everything we were consumed, we couldn't get enough of God. We couldn't get enough of God's Word. Every time there was a Bible study, we were there because we wanted to know more about this God that saved us. We wanted to know more how to live for him. And then we started living and we started having all kinds of wonderful things in our lives and living in this great nation with all the opportunities and all the distractions. And all of a sudden, we have drifted away. Look at the, look at the church today in our world. The church has drifted. And we have drifted so far... And we have gone so far that most of us don't even know that we have drifted. And we get angry and upset when someone, especially a preacher, who says to us, you're drifting. How many of you know that great theologian Hank Williams Jr.? I hadn't heard of him much. But I found a song he wrote this week. And if he's, if he's not a, um, a prophet of what's going on today, and I say that loosely, listen to some lyrics of one of his songs. And you country song music lovers will recognize this immediately. The preacher man says... It's the end of time, and the Mississippi River, she's a-going dry. The interest is up and the stock market down, and you're going to get mugged if you go downtown. (laughs) What's the name of that song? A Country Boy Can Survive. There you go. Look at where we are in our world today. And how that we have drifted because we've been distracted by so many things. Then we see the cause of Israel's transgressions. In verse 2, Israel had divided, had a divided heart. You know, James tells us about that in James 1, verses 6 through 8. We'll look at that verse in a minute. You don't have to pop it up right now. But it talks about being double-minded. You see, you can't have a divided heart when it comes to God. If God doesn't have your whole heart, then he doesn't have you at all. And what I mean by that is that we should wake up every day and know that every day is a gift from God and that our opportunity to serve and, to, and everything that we do, whether it is our job, our vocation, our recreation, whatever it is, that we give glory to God, and we don't rob God to be able to enjoy what God has given us. Notice what it says of of what Israel had done. Israel worshiped God but served idols. You can't do that. But you see, they had drifted so far that they thought that they could do that. They had a divided heart. Let me ask you today, where is your heart? And then we see that Israel worshipped God, but said no to obeying God's commands. And then we see Israel worshipped God with speech, but not her heart. Now look at some of these verses. Let's just go back and look at some of these verses here. Israel worshiped God but served idols. Look at 2nd Kings chapter uh, 17 verse 33. Notice what he says to them. They worshiped the Lord but they also served their what? Say it. own gods in accordance with the customs of the nation from which they had been brought. In other words, Israel had been Affected by all of the countries and everything around them instead of being the separate people that God had called them to be. A holy nation. A nation in which God says, I will will bring my message to the whole world through you. But yet, Israel forsook that. They worshipped God, but they served idols. In other words, God just became you know, something that they did when they didn't have anything else to do. But notice, Israel worshiped God but said no to obeying God's command. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 22 and 23. But Samuel replied, now here was the story of where God had told Saul to go in and to um, absolutely destroy all that was there, everything that was living in this particular area, and Saul did not obey. And here, Samuel is confronting Saul over his disobedience. Notice what he said, but Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion, listen to this, is like the sin of witchcraft, divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king, and Saul's kingdom came to an end. How does that apply to us today? Oh, we we come and we give lip service to the Lord. We give our offerings and sacrifices and things like that to the Lord, but then our heart is divided. We're too busy. We've got so many more other things that we want to do. And they're not bad things. They're just things that shouldn't replace the Lord I remember as a kid growing up no institution anywhere would ever touch ever 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 touch Sunday or Wednesday night but now the church is losing Sundays and Wednesday nights And it's not because of the heathen, it's because of the church people. Israel worshiped God with speech, but not her heart. Look what Matthew 15, 8 and 9 says. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, their teachings are merely human rulers. James 1, 6-8, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is a double-minded and unstable in all they do. Psalm 86, 11, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an un Divided heart. Why? That I may fear your name. Is your heart divided today? Notice the calamities that are coming upon Israel because of Israel's transgressions. Be not deceived. Galatians chapter 6, be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. If we sow to the flesh, we shall of the flesh reap corruption. But if we sow to the Spirit, we shall of the Spirit reap everlasting life. You know the worst deception in the world, the Bible tells us, is deceiving ourselves. Thinking we're okay when really many times we have a divided heart. Look at the calamities that are coming upon Israel. And I do believe that these same type of calamities will be coming upon um, this great nation as well. Notice their altars and images will be destroyed. Chapter 10, verse 2, the latter part of verse 2. It says, He will break down their altars, He will ruin their sacred pillars. All these places, all these things that consume our time. You want to know, you want to know, let me. Let me Define from my perspective now. This is my definition. This is what I try to define in my life when I come to this issue of a divided heart. And I have to admit, there are many times the temptations out there to have a divided heart. I mean, one of the highest, listen to this, one of the highest and holiest times of the year is about to happen for a redneck country boy, hunting season. Man, I tell you, I was tempted two or three times over the years to, you know, be in my deer stand and just film myself and, and then put it up here and, and come to you from my deer stand. But you know what that is? That's a divided heart. That's a divided heart. Now I know we don't like to hear that but it's the truth if anything in this world is more important to me than coming together with God's people in God's house to hear God's word, to sing praises to our God, to, uh, to be taught the word of God, to live out the word of God, to encourage one another, to love one another, to be with one another, and all those things, if there's anything more important than that, then it becomes an idol. And you can argue with that all you want to, and I'm not going to argue with you about it. You can get mad at me if you want to, and that's okay. My daddy used to say, you can get glad in the same shoes you got mad in. I'm not here to please And tickle the ears of individuals. I'm here to proclaim the truth of the word of God. There is nothing, nothing that can replace our relationship with Jesus Christ. And nothing should ever, ever, ever take that place. He is Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. And I have never seen a time in my life as a believer where I have to rob God of his time or my talent or my treasury to be able to enjoy all that God has given me. And anything that we love more than him becomes an idol. And anything that takes more of our time and more of our treasury and and more of our abilities and talents becomes an idol. God says he's going to destroy all of those things. Let me ask you something. When Jesus comes, what's going to be left? You going to take your hunting dogs with you to heaven? Nope. Now, don't go out here saying, Brother Ken says dogs are not going to heaven. I don't know if they are or not. I love little dogs just like you do, but they don't need to be saved. You do, and I do. He's going to destroy all these things. What will we have left? Lonnie Robertson, who owned the John Deere dealership in Brownsville, Tennessee, was the number one John Deere dealership for several years in a row. He worked 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He traveled everywhere selling, selling John Deere equipment, selling, selling, selling. He was the number one That little town over there, Brownsville, Tennessee, he was the number one dealership for several years in a row. One Sunday morning when he was in his office trying to make a deal and worrying over it, been up all night trying to to work this deal to sell more stuff and to get more stuff, he had a heart attack. At 43 years old, they loaded him in an ambulance, took him to the hospital there in Brownsville and then realized they needed to take him on into Memphis. And as they drove by his dealership on the way to the interstate to go to the hospital in Memphis, thinking he was about to die and was that close to being dead, the Holy Spirit of God spoke to Lonnie Robinson. There as he drove by that that dealership that he had there, and God spoke to him in his spirit and said, whose dealership will it be now? And Lonnie Robertson made it through. God spared him. And Lonnie got his heart right with God. He was already a believer, but he'd gotten out of focus. Money had become his idol. Prestige and power, those trophies that he had all around his office, number one dealership in the nation, had become his idols. And God had just become something on the side. But from that day on, Lonnie committed his life to Christ and became a pastor and pastored churches there in Antioch Baptist Church there in Brownsville, Tennessee. Their altars and their images will be destroyed. Notice that like, their kings will be devastated. Let me tell you, if you put your trust in government, or if you put your trust in leadership, you're going to come up wanting 21 kings in the nation of Israel, the ten northern tribes, 19 kings in the southern kingdom. Jeroboam, Nadab, Basha, Elah, Zimri, Omri, Ahab, Ahaziah, Jehoram, Jehu, Jehoiaz, Jehoiash, Jeroboam, Zachariah, Shalom, Menahem, Pe- uh, Pekahiah, Pekah, and Hoshea the last king of Judah their kings will be devastated what what does it say in in verses 3 and 4 what good is a king going to do us we don't have one anymore what good is a king because we did not fear the Lord and as for a king what could he do for us is there any government or any leader that is more powerful than God they may think they are notice what else their golden calf will lose its desirability you know <laughs> when you find out that you're when you find out that you are worshiping a false god and the true god comes on the scene and destroys that false god you just kind of lose your lose your connection to it then we see in verse 7 their last king will die. Hoshea, the last king to survive in the nation of Israel. You see, in 722 B.C., Assyria comes and takes the ten northern tribes captive, leaves the two southern tribes. Then a guy by the name of Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon defeats Shalmaneser of Assyria, takes over the Assyrian kingdom, and Babylon then comes, and comes from the north, and comes down through Israel, the ten northern tribes, and takes Judah, the southern kingdom, captive. There are three deportations. 605 B.C. is when we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel. Those are taken out. Took out all the young people, all those that were being educated, all those that were the future of the nation. Took them out. That was a part of what kingdoms did uh, when they came in and took over area. They took took out all the young people, took them to their country, and brainwashed them into their governmental ideas. Then in 595 B.C., a second deportation where they come in and they destroy uh, all the cities. They take out all the rest of the people and leave nothing but the the poor, really poor, and the really sick, and the really old. And then the third deportation in 585, they they bring immigrants from another nation that they had taken over. They bring them in to settle into the nation of Judah because that was the way that they did things. They they took those that they'd already captured and had brainwashed. They bring them over into another country that they had just captured to brainwash them so that there would be no leaders that would fight against them. The last king will die. And then what's the king going to do? Notice in verse 8, their high places will be destroyed and their hope will be gone. Those places where they had worshipped at the altars of their false gods will all be destroyed. The high places are a reference to one of their main gods that they served, the Canaanite god, called Baal. The high places were those places where they would go and have all these major sex orgies and things because Baal was the, the god of fertility the female part of the God of fertility was Ashtaroth. And so here was the idea. As long as, as Baal and Ashtaroth would get together and fertilize the land, they would have a great uh, they would have great crops, they would, they would have prosperity, they'd have all types of, of great things in their nation, and they they worshiped this false god of Baal and Ashtaroth, uh, thinking that. They were the ones that were fertilizing everything instead of, you know, forgetting that it's God who created it all. And, and the way to get Baal excited and Ashtoreth excited to be able to fertilize the land was to have sex orgies. And so they would, they would be in the high places and the groves. And God says, I'm going to destroy all those places. And then it says in verses 9 and 10, their double transgression will be punished. What was their... What was their double transgression? You go back to what we talked about earlier, their first chief transgression of Israel. They worshiped and served idols, and Israel looked to the kings for salvation. And those things that they looked to could no longer provide for them, and God destroys them. And then we see in verse 11, their days of oppressing others will be replaced with days of being oppressed. They're going to go into captivity. And then finally, their warriors and fortresses and king will be decimated, verses 12 through 15. So, Pastor Ken, you and Pastor Matthew have been preaching these these horrible, judgmental sermons for 10 weeks now. When are we going to get to some good news? The good news has never left us the good news is still the same. The good news is that Jesus Christ came and gave his life for you and for me. The good news is that he justified us. He made us right with God. He took the penalty of our sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might through him become the righteousness of God in him. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He took your penalty and my penalty, and he paid the price that justified us and made us right with God. And he says, whosoever will may come and drink of the water of life freely. Whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Glory to God. That's the good news. That has never changed. But it's been clouded by all the interferences and all the the things that we substitute for that good news. The good news is still the good news. In fact, there's, no, there's nothing better than the good news. There's nothing but the good news. There's nothing that compared to it. You say, well, that's good news, but how does that affect me? The Bible says if you will confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that, that God has raised him from the dead, that thou will be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Has there been that time in your life where you came and the word confess it just simply means agree with God, that you agree with God that you are a sinner? The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. I don't care how good you think you are, how you have compared yourself to somebody else, you're always going to fall short when it comes to the things of God. And we must compare ourselves to what Jesus is. And when we do, we all fall short of the glory of God. We need Jesus. We need to be saved. And if you're not saved today... Today needs to be that day for you to open your heart to Christ. If you are saved, it's time to get serious. I've been called on the carpet for saying that I believe that Jesus will come in my lifetime. That is not setting a date. That's just simply saying that I believe in the imminent return of Jesus Christ he could come at any moment before I get another word out of my mouth before you blink before you take another breath Jesus could come are you ready if you're not saved I promise you you are not ready With all those things you have trusted in and all those things you've wasted your life on and all those things that have have taken away from the things of God in your life, they will perish. And you will perish with them unless you know Christ. And today I plead with you, I beg with you that if you don't know Christ today, confess Him as Lord. And believe in your heart that he ra- was raised from the dead because that sealed our pardon. And he offers to all who will believe and receive the gift of eternal life. That's the good news. That news will never change. I don't care how it's covered up or how the devil tries to Divert us from it. That's the good news. Lord, I thank you today that the good news is always the good news. Nothing will ever change it. Nothing can ever stop who you are and all that you have done. And Lord, so I pray that we'll just have the good sense today to open our hearts to you and allow you to To speak to us and show us everything that you have for us and that your way is the only way. When you said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes into the Father except through me, that was not just words on paper, it is the absolute truth. You're not just some sign pointing to the way, you are the way. You're not some philosopher talking about truth. You are the truth. And you're not some biologist talking about life. You are the life. And so, Lord, today I pray that if anyone here has never trusted you, that today, right now, they would open their heart and say, yes. Lord, I receive you today. I confess my sin. I repent of my sin, and I turn to you where you have justified me. And paid the penalty for my sin. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. In Christ's name, amen.